Hello and welcome back to This Week in Game Shows. I am two-time game show loser, J.D. Lape. And as always, sitting across from me is my podcasting partner in crime, the one and only aspiring game show contestant, Adrian Perez. Hey everybody, how we doing? Let's do this. Alright, Adrian. Uh, overall, I feel like we had a pretty slow week in game shows, at least comparatively to the last few weeks, where... Uh, we felt like we've had a lot to talk about and actually have had to cut some stuff out. But this week, we're going to start again with The Wall just because it was kind of one of the more interesting things that happened. Um, we had uh, Brooke and Cody, a married couple from Washington. He is a firefighter and she is a stay-at-home mom. Um, she puts little inspirational notes in her kids' lunches, and in turn, the kids um, share them with their classmates, and their classmates share them with their parents, and the parents contact Brooke and Cody, and it makes for a more inclusive community that they live in. And so that's kind of their story and how they work well in the community. Um, yeah, I gotta love that. Good story, good with the kids. I mean... Again, these communities, you know, at least as, we, as we've spoken to um, in our previous podcast, they, they are the ones who have a lot of influence on how you get put on the wall in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, with the interview process, with the application, you uh, need to highlight the focus in your community, and they ask for feedback from your community members before, whether it's living neighborhood, church, school, um, any type of social group that you're involved in. So, uh, yeah, right off the bat, again, very good, homey, heart warming story yeah uh they had uh, a hard time in free fall which is the opening round they ask five questions um three balls are released down the giant plinko wall and before the first ball reaches one of the slots at the bottom you have to answer the question either answer a or answer b uh unfortunately they only got three out of five correct uh, but luckily, the last two questions were very big amounts, and they accumulated $70,000 to begin with going into the game, which is actually a very respectable number because um, they could have just as easily had only a few thousand dollars considering they had two questions wrong and they had some trouble in free fall. Yeah, uh, in that first round, there's people who have started with 20000 15000 mm-hmm. 50000 uh, 70 is right right where you want to be, 45, 10, 35, 65. Those are the ones on the lower end. Some people have started in the hundreds, but 70s, like you said, it's respectable, especially when uh, coming from behind, per se, in that first round. Yeah. So we're going to jump into the into the questions here. The first question that Brooke had to face, because they decided Brooke was going to go behind the wall and answer the questions. Cody was going to stay out and decide where to place the balls on the wall. Uh, the first question they had to deal with was, a 2006 viral video had a mama panda and a baby panda in the video where the baby startled the mother by doing what? Um, this is a very popular video. It's still popular even to this day, and it's been over 10 years. Uh, I know when we discussed it uh, off air and we're talking to your roommate, we all, you guys both knew it before I even gave out any answers. Yeah, it's definitely farts. The baby panda farts. <laughs> Maybe different video I'm thinking of, actually. <laughs> Uh, well, it may be a different video that you're thinking of, Adrian, because the actual answer was sneezing. 
Uh, it's a very cute video if you guys haven't looked it up. Uh, if you guys go on YouTube, just look up Panda Sneezing. It's actually pretty awesome. So that was the first question. The second question had to do with Bob Ross. And I mean, everyone in our generation and probably in Generation X as well probably knows Bob Ross if, you know, you're worth your weight in soul. Um, <laughs> uh, Brooke kind of got lucky because she didn't actually know his name. She knew who he was because her kids all watch YouTube videos of him. And luckily... Or maybe not so luckily, uh, the answers were all related. It was like Stephen Ross, Bob Ross, and like Tyler Ross. Uh, she ended up picking Bob Ross, which is obviously the right answer. And uh, they doubled up, which helped their bank, uh, especially because throughout this game, their green balls did not treat Brooke and Cody very well. Uh, they were on the struggle bus, getting lots of hundreds, a couple of ones. They they got. They got a couple big numbers, but if you, I don't have the notes in front of me, the statistics, but I would say they had just as many, if not more, of these low numbers, these hundreds and ones on the green balls as they did the big numbers to build their bank. Uh, moving forward to question number three. Uh, remember, three questions in the first round, three questions in the second round. Uh, in the movie Dumb and Dumber, uh, Jim Carrey's character was given what odds that he had a chance uh, with this woman that he was speaking with. Uh, the choices were one out of a million, one out of a billion, and one out of a trillion. And I know this is one of your favorite movies. Adrian. Yeah, definitely probably top two all time. Um, so obviously, you know, the correct answer was one in a million. Um, the favorite quote from that line is, so you're telling me there's a chance, you know, or what was all that one in a million talk? Um, so definitely one in a million was the correct answer for that one. And as you let me know, it's probably one of the most misquoted quotes from movies. Uh, definitely the Mandela effect. Yeah, the, the, the quote is usually people mess up and say, uh, so you're saying there's a chance, and it's actually, so you're telling me there's a chance. Um, again, this simple uh, misplacement of, uh, of same used words, but yeah, one of, the, one of the, actually I think it's the second misquoted, there's, there's a book I have that's got misquoted movie terms of all time. Um, first one is... Luke, I am your father. Or the actual spoiler. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, spoiler for <laughs> anybody who hasn't seen uh, any of the Star Wars movies or anything related to Star Wars. Um, where the actual quote is, "No, I am your father." He never actually says Luke in that quote. But um, yep, answer was one in a million, and they answered one in a billion. Uh, tough break. Tough break, especially on a triple up, which they did. Um, Lost a fair amount of money. But luckily, it's the first round. And again, they employed our strategy. Whether And regardless of whether it was on purpose or not, our strategy is to always double up and triple up in the first round. Because even if you lose and you get wiped out with zero, you still get to play the second round. You get the four green balls to start the second round. Build up your bank again. Answer some more questions. And then... Hopefully the four red balls at the end of the second round don't hurt you as much. But uh, you and I have discussed how you really need to double and triple up in that first round. Build up that bank, especially because you have the safety net of the second round. Like it, it's, it's a risk, but, but we feel like it's a risk worth taking, especially you and I. Like we're big trivia guys, so maybe for us it's a little bit different than other people. And obviously we're obviously not playing for 
thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars at the moment. So it's definitely easy for us to say here on this end of the microphone, hey, just double and triple up in the first round. No big deal. Yeah, understandably so. I mean, granted, we probably have a lot more confidence. Oh, man. Sound like I was in Dunkirk for a second. Um, we, we probably have a little more confidence in our answers. However, I think the odds are basically you should either way because, again, you also have that same thing that you can't go lower than zero. Once you hit zero, you're done. You're at the bottom. Right. You can't go below that. So you want to build up as much as you can on the green because you can get wiped out with one or two red balls. You know, um, and again, you know, say you do. Now you know you definitely have to double up on the third one. You have a chance to catch up and be in the positive at the end before you get that last uh, uh, gush of red, red or negative balls coming at you. But, you know, regardless of, of I think, on this one, how trivia savvy you are um, doubling up on, on the first two opportunities you have and tripling up are a must because, again, you can always play catch-up and you can't go lower than zero. And, and I think the, the point is to build up your bank as much as possible. Yeah, and the tricky part with this game is that they show the person in front of the wall playing the playing the balls. They show them the answers and then they get to decide whether they want to double and triple up based on what the answer choices are. And then once they make their decision, they send it to the person in the back who actually has to answer it with the with the question. So you're basically going off your gut, and you know the, how the, well you know your partner, or how well you know yeah. your person as well. That's a big that's a big uh, influence on in how you're going to bet as well. But again, I think negating that, you just got to go. You got to double up and triple up the first first two chances you have. Yeah. Now, some questions are easier said than done, like the, the Bob Ross one. When your answer choices are Steve Ross, Bob Ross, and Tyler Ross, if you know who Bob Ross is, which unfortunately Brooke and Cody didn't, but you and I do, uh, I mean, we know that's going to be an automatic triple up because if you see a name like Bob Ross, it's probably going to be the answer. But then the third one, you have one in a million, one in a billion, or one in a trillion. Those are your answer choices. That could really be anything but still, with the first round being the quote-unquote easier round um, and the safety net, it if you're if you're confident enough in your trivia skills, as I know that we are, uh, I think you got to do it. But then that goes into what the wall is all about. It's not about me and you being you know having a podcast and, and being really good at trivia. It's, it's about, all about how the balls fall. Yeah. And, and it, like, like you said, for them, you know, in the beginning, they were not falling favorously for them. So uh, that comes into play, I guess, too. I guess that's a hindrance when you're thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, more balls. We're not getting them falling in our way, per se. You know, should we keep doing this? Yeah. And that's the plight of any team because the person deciding what we walk away with is not the person that knows <laughs> how the wall has been treating the team. So... Having your choice, would you be behind the wall answering questions, or would you would you be the one up front dealing with the balls? Yeah, let us know at this week game shows on Twitter. That's T H I S W K game shows, or you can just use the hashtag Twigs T W I G S, which stands for this week in game shows. Let us know. Would you rather be answering the questions and have more confidence in yourself, or would you rather be the one making the big decisions and not having to deal with the ultimate make or break decision at the end? Um, I'd say for myself, I would probably like to be the one dealing with, uh, excuse my wordage on this one, handling the balls up front. Um, I'd probably want to be the one, based on my partner and what I think they know and their trivia, again, I'm more of a strategic planner and I would probably use more strategy and I think I would make myself 
a little more at ease knowing that I'm in control and understanding of what we have on the board and what's out there. And <laughs> I am kind of the opposite because the ma- yes, the wall is your make or break point, but the questions do tilt the odds in your favor one or against you one way or the other. And depending on who my partner is and what their comfort level is, I would rather be behind the wall answering the questions just because I am confident in my trivia abilities. So, I mean, like us, for example, we I guess we'd make the perfect team because Adrian wants to be out in front. I'd rather be in the back answering the questions and making the final decision. But as we mentioned last week um, in the podcast, we have different ideas on ultimately the final say on, <laughs> on how we would, if whether or not we would uh, sign the contract or not. Yeah, so Brooke ended up getting two out of three correct in the first round. Uh, she missed the triple up, um, which is bad. I mean, that's the one question. If you're going to get two out of three, that's obviously the one question you don't want to miss. But she did. It, it didn't It didn't kill them. Um, that, along with the four green balls to start out at the beginning of the next round, it, it built their, their bank back up to uh, about – about three, four, five hundred thousand going in somewhere in that somewhere in that range, or excuse me, four, five hundred thousand um, in that range before the questions even start. Now remember, they still have to do four red balls after the questions in, from the same slots as the green balls. And uh, Cody went with in this order two slot number two, which carries less risk. Uh, slot number three, then number six, and finally number four. Um, if I, if I were to do that, I don't know, you're the, Adrian, you're the one who said that you would rather be in front of the wall. I would rather do six first, get rid of the high risk ones first and then move my way, uh, back because I would rather just get it out of the way and not, you know, if you want to build up the tension and make for a good TV show, then yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna say, let me do one first and then two, then three, and then I'm gonna do seven. Uh... Yeah, I'd say that if they're going to fall, let them fall right away. Let them, let them get out of the way. Let me see kind of what, what I have to work with at the end. Um, but, yeah, I would, I would say let's just drop the sixes first. Again, you you, you never want to be taken out right away. And so I can see where they would say let's do the little ones first. But uh, I agree with you. I would say, you know what, we're going to drop from six. Let me see how these fall first. And then, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah, especially, especially if that's six. Because they alternate at the bottom. The slots go $1, uh, 5000 $100. 10,000, you know, so it's one every other slot at the bottom is a big money amount. And so even though you fall from slot number six on the board and directly below it is the one million, there is a one dollar on either side of it. And so you still have as good a chance of having it fall into a small amount as you would a big amount. And that's kind of where Brooke and Cody were for the most part on their green balls in this game, unfortunately. They caught a couple of big ones, obviously, because as I said, they after the four green balls they dropped, they had, you know, going on about five hundred thousand dollars. So they obviously hit a few big ones. But your your hope is to hit that million at least once. And so when you don't hit big numbers like that at a big rate, you gonna have you're gonna have to start playing a little more conservatively yeah. to mitigate the risk for the rest of the balls. Um, yeah, and again, just a tough break. I don't know how the balls were falling for them uh, yeah. all game. They never really 
<clears throat> had like that big moment where they hit a couple big ones. It was more of a gradual increase, and then uh, some of the balls just didn't fall their way. Yeah, really. I mean, they think they. I think they had one big one where they hit a, a three hundred thousand, I believe, once or a quarter minute, something like that. They had one big one. The rest were kind of incremental. Like not to say that fifty and a hundred thousand and stuff like that isn't big, but in the grand scheme of things of this game, when you have a slot that is worth one million, yeah, you having a hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. Or fifty thousand is not uh, where you want to see these balls fall. So the first question of the second round was it was a pretty good question. I, I knew this being from the state that we are. I uh, had to deal with what state is home to both an NBA franchise and an NHL franchise with the same name or the same nickname. And so the answers were California, New York, Florida, and Texas. Uh, Adrian, we're both big sports guys, so this was for us. This was easy, and to double it up, like you said, we're from the state of California. Spoiler alert: the answer is California. Uh, Adrian, you rattled off the two names. Yeah. It, um, again, it literally took me about two seconds to think of it, but. Especially when they gave the options. Had, had they not even given any options, we'd probably come up with the answer pretty quickly. Um, the Kings are both from the NBA Sacramento team and from the hockey Los Angeles team. So right off the bat, you know, we knew, uh, we knew the answers to those. There are a few, you know, we discussed too, a few other states who have other sports, you know, that have doubled up in, in, uh, in names like uh, the Cardinals, who were both from St. Louis at one point. Um, or we have New York Rangers and Texas Rangers, but then staying with the same state theme. We used to have the New York Football Giants and the New York Baseball Giants in the same state as well. So some of these teams have have done this in the past, but it was, it was relatively easy, easy for us. Yes, and that's the key word uh, for us, especially for number one, kind of what calls trivia buffs, I would say, and then sports fiends, and then the location of where we live. We had like the triple whammy there in terms of like knowing what this answer would be. And so, uh, you know, not to disparage housewives, but she is a housewife who takes care of five kids in the state of Washington. She said it herself, like, sports are not my thing. Uh, the You know, give her more YouTube uh, videos like Bob Ross. Like, her <laughs> yeah. kids watch YouTube all day. Like, they're not big on sports. And that's just the way it turns out sometimes. Um, so she said Florida, not California. Luckily, it was the first question, so they only had one ball to drop. Um but it, it was still a doozy. It lost a couple hundred thousand on that. Um, the fifth question was... The fifth question had to do with the song Respect by Aretha Franklin. And they wanted to know the songwriter. Um, the choices were Otis Redding, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, and I forget the fourth choice. Um, now, I didn't know this question right off the top of my head. However, um, in that era with that style of music, R&B music, um, Motown, things of that, my mom is a big Motown person. Um, so in that era, Otis Redding is actually a very big name. And the reason why you probably don't know that in for a layman is probably because he doesn't sing most of them or the most famous rendition is not sung by him. But 
when I when I was looking at these answers, uh, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, and again I forget the fourth the fourth name. None of those stood out to me like Otis Redding, just because through trivia, through watching all these shows, whether it be Jeopardy or Millionaire or Now the Wall or going to trivia nights, Otis Redding is such a big name from that era. And he, if you look it up, more likely than not, he probably has written at least one song that you loved from that era. You know what I mean? It's amazing how you don't think of the songwriters behind the songs. Even today... Songwriting is such a huge business because a lot of these artists do do not write their songs. Um, yeah, they're more performers, you know, which, you know, Michael Jackson is very infamous for being probably the greatest of all time as far as that because he didn't write many of his own songs. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, um, I didn't watch live, but when J.D. presented me with the question, I knew it pretty quickly only because I am familiar with it and I've seen some documentaries before um, that era I was very into. Um, but Otis Redding, you know, was huge. You know, sixties, seventies. Um, he's been credit. He's he made Rock and Roll um, Hall of Fame in '89 is when he was inducted. So I mean, he he's been around for a while. Um, he's written songs for Little Richie. Um, there's it's actually you know pulling up there was more. Um, George Harrison gives him a lot of respect and and, and notes Redding as a major influence in some of his songwriting. Um, other people who have given Redding you know, like some kudos are Led Zeppelin, Grateful Dead, Leonard Skinner, The Doors, Al Green, Etta James. Um, those are the people, you know, Kanye West and Jay-Z and their song Otis. Um, they, that was uh, kind of a remix um, on one of his songs. Um, Janis Joplin, a lot of these players, a lot, of, a lot of these performers either did renditions of his music or had music written for them by him or had previously been written that they used and performed on. So he was, he was a pretty big name. Um, however, not household and you wouldn't know it because a lot of stuff doesn't come to fruition until either later or you dive into it or you read, you know, something on Rolling Stone that mentions it. But, uh, Otis Redding, you know, our generation before us was huge. Mm -hmm. And moving on to the sixth and final question of their game. Uh, so at this point, they, okay, I should double back because they doubled up on that Otis Redding question, got it wrong, got more money taken out. So now you have one question left and they have the opportunity to triple up. Um, they don't take it, unfortunately, because she does get it right at this point. Uh, I understand his thinking because they've gotten three in a row wrong. Uh, it's a, it's a big risk to then triple up now, um, to, because the possibility of having a fourth question wrong, and this is supposed to be ideally the toughest question of the six. It's going to be worth the most money, especially if you triple up. So I have no problem with him not tripling up. It's just a shame that he didn't because he ultimately his wife behind the wall did get it right. And it had to do with the commencement speech at Stanford University in 2005 where Steve Jobs uh, gave a speech and he ended it by saying, what phrase? The answer was ultimately, stay hungry, stay foolish. Um, I did not know the answer to this off the top of my head, even though um, they do show video clips usually on the wall. And of this one they did show. And I feel like I've seen this before on YouTube, so it's probably in the recesses of my brain. But 
I only went with Stay Hungry, Stay Foolish because the other three choices they gave were more cliche, inspirational kind of things. And it wouldn't have been noteworthy, and especially not noteworthy on a trivia game show, had it be like, be all you can be, or... Make a difference. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, you had to go with what you felt was like the quirkiest one of the four, and that was Stay Hungry, Stay Foolish. Because, I mean, why would... <laughs> Ultimately, why would someone tell a bunch of college graduates, stay foolish, you know? I mean, yeah, it definitely would be something that would stick out or be memorable. Yeah. So she got it right. They didn't triple up. Um, they added back to their bank. They had about, uh, I believe, 600000 and some change going into the four red balls. And the first two, as I mentioned, were dropped from... Slots two and three, which usually carry less risk. However, they both fell into uh, a $200,000 slots, which put them back down to a little under 300000 or around 300000 And then from slot six, they did fall into the million, wiped them out completely. So there's no reason to drop the fourth red ball, which would, which would have been dropped from number four. Uh, since they already had zero. Um, in the end, I thought they had a chance to walk away with the guarantee. So they started free fall or they ended free fall and started their game with about 70,000 and some change. She ultimately got three out of the six questions right at $20,000 per question that added 60 to their guarantee. So it was about 130,000 and some change. Uh, Adrian, you and I have talked about this before. You're always going for the guarantee, right? Or ninety nine percent of the time. For the most part, if I guess I think my breaking point was a hundred grand. If I know I'm at least at that hundred to one hundred and fifty mark, I'm probably going for the guarantee. I'm probably saying, yeah, you know, we're walking with this. This is definite. You know, I don't know what's on the wall. I know what's up on the wall. Um, at that point, a hundred grand is a lot of money and can still make a good big difference. Um, so I, again, it, it would it would take me definitely knowing. And again, you know, we've, we've already about this before. If I definitely know I nailed all the answers right, I might still take the guarantee more. Um, I know there's a higher probability of the balls bouncing in our favor for more green balls than red, but um, I think if I'm pretty confident between that 100, definitely 150 mark, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going with the guarantee. Yeah, in, in terms of her game, uh, only being sure of two out of the six and uh, – even she admits, like, the, the third one she got right about the commencement speech was, that's just what I feel good about. Ultimately, I think I would have taken it as well just because if I'm not putting the – if I'm not confident in putting correct answers out there, then I can't be confident in putting green balls on the wall. So I got to assume that they're red, which gives more opportunity to lose money than it is to gain money. And so, obviously, the safe play – the safe play is always to take the guarantee. Now, when you're in that moment – like, that is so difficult. I don't... I know I said that I want to be behind the wall and be in charge of that situation, but <laughs> the tricky part is the easy part for me. It's deciding whether or not I take a guarantee, you know, 110, 130,000. In my mind, what I think is a guarantee, 110, 130, because I don't know if I get these questions right or not, um, only in my heart. <laughs> and so it's difficult. And with the possibility, because... Who knows, if the balls would have bounced the other way, they could have gone home millionaires. You know, It just so happened the green balls mostly fell in the small uh, dollar amounts, and the red balls fell more into the large amounts. Now, 
you flip that scenario, and like I said, they're easily they are easily millionaires or close to it. And so, it, it it's the luck of the balance on that wall. It really messes with you and all those zeros. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, again, being on the outside. I have, I would have the privilege of understanding and seeing. Okay, look, this is what we're guaranteed to go home with. This is what I know I have on the wall, on the wall. So if they're both positive and plus, I'd be okay, and obviously be like, yeah, this is great. You know, we're either going home with, let's say, 110, which is the guarantee, or 300. Cool. We're, my mindset is okay. It's obviously when you're in the negative and you see zero dollars on the wall, and you're thinking, oh my God, please make you know the good decision or. If you're up there in the couple million and you're like, well, wow, this could really be, you know. So um, I think a lot of it has to do with what you want to do with the money, too. That's you true. Know, um, it, I think, you know, if we've spoken about this, where I would have, um, I would want to, uh, you know, continue the process of opening up my own restaurant and, yes, do some help with it, you know, give some to my community, um, you know, especially lately. Um, but that would still make a big difference. And I would rather give that then walk away with nothing. So if I know I'm at that 100,000 mark, based on what my intentions are to do with it, that's 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 why I would also say, okay, I can do a lot of good with this um, and continue success in it. You know, if it's just purely $2 million, we can have a lot of fun, I can buy five Lamborghinis and we can go on this great trip, then you roll the dice and it is what it is. But um, I think people's intentions and what they want to do with the money ultimately comes in a big factor too. Ultimately, she tore up the contract, meaning that she did not take the guarantee, and she took the risk of whatever was left on the wall, which ultimately was zero. So unfortunately for Brooke and Cody, they, they walked away with nothing on Monday night. Um, and those are the those are the worst ones, because sometimes you get shows and people walk away with nothing, and that's because you know they have their comeuppance, you know? And you're... Not that we like to root against people, but there are some people that are more likable than others on certain game shows. And that's the thing about The Wall is that it's designed to have likable people every single week. Like, they're not... The drama that they want to create is from whether or not they're going to walk away millionaires, you know, not if this abrasive person, you know, is, you know, that might not be a fan favorite, you know, is he going to end up with zero, you know? Like, it's, it's more on the positive side of drama, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, there's other games where we talk about where people play sloppily or have disregard for the game or don't care or obnoxious and loud. And you're like, man, I hope this lady wins nothing. Um, you know, sometimes on Wheel of Fortune, I, I laugh when people get bankrupt or lose a turn, you know, depending on how they're betting or spinning. But on this show, we've definitely talked about this is where we want people to win. They're genuinely good people. They have great intentions for what they're trying to do. And to see them... When they don't succeed, the very few times we just talked about it, when it doesn't happen and they walk away with zero, it's heartbreaking. It's tough. You feel for them. Um, however, the attitudes that some of them have are amazing. Some of the some of the oh, losers yeah. you have when they lose, and it's you know almost written perfectly where they say we have each other still, yep. and we're we're healthy. And it's like oh my god, it makes you want to, want them to win more. But right. <laughs> at that point, it's already over, and they've gone home with nothing. Right, and that's exactly what happened with Brooke and Cody. They have each other. They have their five kids. Um, and that, and that's in their case, uh, you know what they said, you know what, we were okay. We would have been okay. Never coming on this show and having this opportunity. We have the opportunity and just because we're walking away with zero doesn't mean it's going to be the end of the world for us. We figured it out up to this point without X amount of, you know, winning X amount of money and we'll continue to keep figuring it out. 
And so, and like you said, it, it just makes you want to root for them even more because they're so gracious about it. Like, not, I'm, I don't know about after the cameras turn off how big of a wreck they turn into, but which would be totally understandable. Like, I don't don't get me wrong. Like, I I was devastated after losing my two times, and like it's it's my own fault, you know. Uh, ultimately, like there's no one to blame but yourself, and I think that's another issue too. Is like when you look back on it, it's like it's almost you shouldn't regret, but it's almost a twinge of regret because obviously, especially in this case, when you have a 50 50 chance of a guaranteed hundred thousand dollars or whatever on the wall, you take a risk, and that's what happens sometimes. You roll the dice and you get snake eyes, unfortunately, and then you're just sitting there like, man, I wish I wouldn't have taken the risk. Why did I do that this time? Yeah, and just to touch on the drama and the suspense, um, that was episode 17 of this season. We've got two more left. Um, But rating-wise, just for this season, that was the second-highest rating show of the season um, with last week's episode with Jakia and Shauna being the highest-rated, and and by a large amount. Um, But this was the second-highest rating show of this season so far. Season uh, Season one doing a lot better than season two did. However, season one was only 10 episodes, it was kind of promoted as being temporary, um, so I think a lot of more people tuned in. Um, this season, it's also been all over the place um, as far as time slots and days, but uh, second highest of the 17 episodes this season so far. Yeah, I think what these uh, primetime shows are figuring out is that they can't... After Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was kind of run into the ground by ABC, um, I think you found that these... Networks have gotten a lot smarter in how they present these games. I mean, you can even go back to about 10 years ago. I would say NBC did the same thing with Deal or No Deal. It started as like, oh, excuse me, a week-long special during Christmas time when there's no, when the regular shows aren't on, they need something to fill the time in. So they brought in Deal or No Deal for like a week and it was a big hit. So they did it again for like another week around Easter time. And then by the time the summer rolled around or towards the end of summer, they knew that the demand was so high that they put it on their fall schedule. And it became like a weekly thing at that point. And then sometimes it'd be on two times a week, sometimes even three times a week. And after like two years, it was off, t- it was off TV altogether because NBC um, decided to run it into the ground. I mean, I-, I know the ratings were huge, but if you want sustained success, especially now in this day and age, but even... So back then as well, you need to put these in, in, in little spurts or like just have it on Monday nights at eight o'clock, you know, like don't do a special mo- do Mondays and then a special Wednesday episode, Wednesday and Thursday episode, you know, you can't oversaturate the market with a product. And that's also what happened, you know, looking at the scheduling again, like you said, that week, that, that first season was 10 shows done from December 19th to February 21st. So they had twice where they did one show in two weeks, uh, but that was episode two and three. But it was weekly, it was almost episodic, and it was done in 12 weeks. So there wasn't really much of a break. You got it every week. This past season, 17 episodes from today, or from the latest episode, which aired January 22nd, episode one was May 18th. So they're dragging on 17 episodes from May, they took a little break uh, in September and October, so they were gone. Technically, they, they count this as the same season, but they've dragged it on all the way till uh, the, the the end of the season. Is supposed to be February, hmm. so that's nine months 
of dragging on 17 episodes. It's not going to be consistent. Um, you're not going to get you know the viewers in as much as possible. Now, again, we're seeing a trend where it's getting better, but that's because from December 27th to this past week, um, five weeks, we've had five episodes. So they're learning to, hey, be consistent, understand people want to watch and have something set on their DVR so they can either watch it or understand or know what it's going to be on and not have to be all over the place and looking forward and what night and there's a conflict with um, CSI or, you know, what else is it coming? Because they've also changed the dates and the time uh, quite a bit as well. So, uh, again, like you said, I think they're learning finally, but um, this is a great show and it creates great drama. And, you know, we touch on it for so long on, on our podcast because we because we want people to have, you know, the good chances and uh, maybe some of you can nominate two of your favorite podcast hosts <laughs> who have a perfect plan for it. And we'll definitely, if we're nominated, whoever nominates us right now, you get 5%. <laughs> I'll co-sign off on that. I, I wouldn't, I'm going to try and not become a three-time game show loser, <laughs> especially if I'm going on there with you, Adrian. Like, <laughs> uh, You know what? It's interesting, though. You bring up the the consistency that has been on Mondays now for about five, six weeks and how we talk or I brought up the fact that it's sort of like a, a good type of drama. And if you compare it to other shows in the same time slot, Mondays at eight o'clock, now granted this is a one hour show and the show I'm about to reference is actually two hours, but you look at The Bachelor on ABC, which focuses on, on so much I would say more on the negative drama because yeah, it's ultimately a show about finding your true love and whatnot. But if you look at, you know, weeks two through 10 outside of the premiere and the finale, when, you know, it, you know, you get to meet everyone. And then when he ultimately decides who he wants to uh, marry or she, when it's the bachelorette in this case, there's a lot of negative drama and catfighting and whatever else you have like in between. So you have the juxtaposition of the wall with all this good, quote unquote, good drama versus The Bachelor with, with bad drama. And you see the results kind of where viewership is trending up. Well, it's not beating The Bachelor yet in terms of viewership. We see it trending up in this time frame right now. Now, that could be just a sign of having it be consistent right now and or possibly what it's up against. Yeah, I understand that, too. Um <laughs> I mean, I can be totally off the there's, wall. There's always that. There's, no, it is. I, I think you have a point to that. I think with that, with with the wall, again, it creates a backstory at first. It, it gets you to buy into the family or the people who are competing and their struggle, what they would do, use the money for, how they've already helped people. Um, they use that positive spin, um, and it creates you to vote for them. Also, because there's no competition, they're not competing against anyone else. You know, where other game shows like Price is Right or Wheel or Jeopardy, it's 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 more competitive against, you know, the the contestants. The wall is basically like that us against them mentality. It's like you're rooting for, you know, the 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 contestants to be like, you know, prototypical protagonists and antagonists. You know, there's a good guy and a bad guy, and you want these people to win, and you boo. I'll tell you what What I think one of the game shows back in the day that first started it, and they were great at it. They even had a quote-unquote dealer that you didn't like, and that was Deal or No Deal. 
and Deal or No Deal brought you up and you had, you know, these choices to make, but the big drama was you against the dealer. What was right. he going to offer you? Was he going to lowball you? And Howie Mandel was like, oh, man, look at that offer. How could he do that? And how is he trending? That created that positive vibe, that warmth. They would go in the depth of the story. He would have his family there. They'd be crying, telling stories about him. They're there helping the contestant. And then you have the dealer who creates the ultimate villainy and he's up there and he gives you the low ball deal or the good deal and do I take it? And it's no deal, almost like shoving it in the dealer's face and the wall, I think, thrived off of that. Um, it's, it's, it's solely the contestants against the game show. There's no gimmick. There's no other contestants. There's no kids to save you. Um, <laughs> it's literally just straight down the line, you against the show. Um and I think people receive that very well. I know I do. And again, we get a little emotional attached into it. Uh, but I, I think it's a perfect uh, type of atmosphere for game show uh, for game show lovers. Yeah, I co-sign 100% on what Adrian just said. Uh, I don't think I need to add any more onto that because you guys know our love of this show. And hopefully you share that same love and love the warm, fuzzy feelings that you get from it. And... The sadness you feel from when someone walks away with zero dollars, like we saw this week. So, um, but kudos to Brooke and Cody for playing the best game that they possibly could. The wall was not their friend. Um, they took a risk, you know. And what are you going to do in that situation when you're playing literally for hundreds of thousands of dollars and possibly millions? I mean, I know we talk about strategies and everything else, but when you're in the moment and the emotions are running high, I mean, how many of us would choose something different? So. Um, Moving on to the next game show uh, this week that we wanted to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk really quick about The Price is Right. Um, we're going to skip ahead to Friday's episode if you happen to catch it on Friday uh, the 26th. Um, we're going to, again, skip all the way to the end um, to the showcase. We had two showcases. One of them had an SU a Hyundai SUV and a trip to New York. Um the other one had a set of three watches, a trip to Hawaii, and a Jeep SUV. Uh, Adrian, looking at those showcases, uh, where were you standing on the bids? And your bids versus what the contestants said? And Yeah, so first off, we had a contestant in Showcase Showdown who was 19 years old. Looked like he had never seen a game before. <laughs> kind of botched his opening bid. Got on there, I would say, by by blind luck. Um, on his game, he played Rat Race. Mm. Again, guessed, inc incredible guess where he wasn't even right on, on, on digits and dollar amounts. Um, yeah, so for, really quickly for, for Rat Race, what it is, there's a little racetrack with five uh, rats on it, five different colors. There are three um, grocery items that you... Uh, guess the price on the first uh, grocery item was like a bag of dog food or dog treats or something like that. You had to be within one dollar, high or low. Cookie dough it was cookie dough. I'm oh, sorry. it was cookie dough. It wasn't it was dog treats. I'm sorry. Okay, cookie dough. Yes, the cookie dough. You had to be within one dollar, and if you were within that range, you got to choose a wrap. Uh, same thing with the second prize. I forget what it is, but you had to be within ten dollars, and then the Correct. third prize. You have to be within $100, either high or low. And if you're within the range of those three products, you get to choose three rats. So what happens is the rats will then race, and whichever color rat comes in first, they get the car. He was playing for a car, Correct. we should say. 
So first place got the car. The wrap that comes in second, if you choose it, you win. The second place prize, which was usually like a TV or, or something to that nature. I forget. A barbecue set. He had a really nice big outdoor barbecue set. Stainless steel. Um, and then third place or the third prize was a foosball table. There you go. So you can see how the prizes increment, you know, the, the, the value uh, goes down from first to third place. Right. And if you get all if you get all three of them right, now you have a chance to choose three three colored rats. So essentially you can win all three prizes if your rats come in first, second, and third place. Correct. And you're guaranteeing yourself at least one prize by getting all three correct because fourth and fifth place out of the five rats, if you choose the fourth or the fifth place rat, you win nothing. But if you the worst you can place is third if you win three rats. Exactly. It's three out of five. Right? Exactly. So he, he got the first one correct. He got the cookie dough. He was within a dollar. He said uh, 250 It was 350 349 349 excuse me. just got it, yeah. <laughs> so much this one bothered me because I remember it specifically. <laughs> uh, but then the second one, I, uh, again, I do not remember the, the, the item he was uh, bidding on. But he had to be within ten dollars. I believe he said twenty-eight. Yeah. Something, something kind of low, especially for a game like this. If you're familiar with it, it it's going to be somewhere between the fifty and a hundred range. Obviously, it was something like a nice mixer or something that was like big and heavy-duty kitchen equipment. Yeah, yeah and it ended up being what I think it was like 60, 70. 60 something. Yeah, yeah, somewhere, somewhere up there, nowhere near twenty-eight. But I mean, I, I, I guess so. Like if you're if you're not familiar with it, but the this is a game where strategy. Yeah. I think comes into play more so, so again, than the actual knowledge. By guessing twenty eight, he's saying that it's either anywhere from eighteen dollars to thirty eight. Which yeah. again, this was a prize that looked a lot more extravagant. And, and granted, that's probably of all of them. To me, that's the hardest one. Yep, that's Agreed. usually the hardest one. Is yep. that second one? The first one is usually something within like a five dollar range. He got pretty lucky and guessed it. Second one, he was way off. And then comes the third place, uh, the third prize, which was a doozy. Right. And now for me, if the second one is the hardest, which I agree with you, I believe the third prize is the easiest to get. By far. <laughs> because you are allowed to be within $100 of the item, high or low. Right. So you're basically giving yourself a $200 buffer to what the price of this item is. And again, my mentality is if they're giving me $100 to work with, it's probably something that costs a couple hundred dollars in the first place. It's not going to be something that's not because they would lose a tremendous amount of money. But it was, um, uh, what was the price again? It, it was something. Uh, it wasn't like a food dehydrator. It was some. It was some appliance though that definitely looked uh, pretty expensive. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, the contestant uh, said seventy dollars, which with a hundred dollar range up or down, you at the very minimum you should say. One hundred dollars. See, I would, I would, yeah, and even then, I wouldn't even guess a hundred dollars right. because that means I'm guessing it's costs anywhere between zero dollars, yeah, and two hundred. And with something that yeah. that expensive, basically, what he did is give himself a buffer of this item costs a hundred and seventy dollars or negative thirty is what he's <laughs> given himself as a buffer for this price. And I highly doubt anything is from negative thirty to seventy dollars. So that really upset me when he made this guess. It would be a price is right first. Yeah, he's also looking in the audience. And I, as I replayed and looked at it, he's there with his mother. Now his mother does put up a seven. So I'm thinking she might want him to bid $700, which at this point, that's a bit high. But again, you're giving yourself a more realistic chance at a buffer between, 
you know, the, the negative 30 and 170 you did. <laughs> My guess always on, on, on that game show would be to guess $200. Yep. Because that gives me a buffer of something costing $100 mm-hmm. to $300. Yep. It's not going to be something less than $100. They wouldn't have it on there and give you that type of a buffer. I might even go $250 just to be safe. So that price is $150 to $350. However, his $70 bet was obviously incorrect. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you just look at it logically, I know, like, if you've never, this is the problem where if you've never watched the prices right, or if you're an infrequent watcher and you don't notice these trends. However, I feel like something like this would kind of be common sense because you have a product that was single-digit amount of dollars. It was $3.49, so $3. You had to be within $1. You had a product that had two digits, 60, 70, whichever one it was, and you had to be within $10, which is also a two-digit number. Now they're telling you you have to be within $100, which is three digits. So yes, obviously this product would be, I would think, would be three digits in terms of price. And if you, the other problem with uh, his $70 pick or his $70 guess for the third item is that you had the last item jumped from $3 to 60 already. And now you're saying this one's only 70 with a $100 buffer. There's a lot there that just, that's why I said like it should be at least 100 because then at least you're giving yourself zero to 200 as Adrian said, you're not going to negative 30. Even though, in all reality, this third prize is probably at least a hundred. So then, if you could be a hundred dollars off, you would want to say two hundred, so you can still grab the hundred dollars if it's that low. And now you're giving yourself up to three hundred. And as it turned out, Adrian, you said you'd always play, say two hundred. That's exactly the price that this third item was. It was two hundred dollars. And so, um, unfortunately. He only got the one, the first one correct, so he only got to pick one rat. Uh, he ended up with a third place rat, which got him the foosball table. So, I mean, a 19-year-old college student got a foosball table. I mean, I'm sure he'll be the life of his buddies, the life of the party with his buddies. Uh, but it's just unfortunate he couldn't give himself the better chance. Like, the second one, we can kind of forgive him on, because I feel like that's the hardest. We both agreed on that. But the third one has definitely got to be the easiest. Yeah, that, that, that's tough. Um, but again... You know, he's 19. He's very yeah. naive. He doesn't probably doesn't know what's going on. Mom probably dragged him on the show, and now he's up on stage, and everyone's freaking out. And I'm sure he's not having, you know, the most uh, serene thinking experience himself. So he's probably all over the place. <laughs> um, but again, you got, I mean, it just shows that the, I think from the producer standpoint, the people they pick to go on the show, yes, he was very animated and he wore a nice little bow tie and a plaid shirt, but it's like, uh, come on, we, we got to win some of these prizes. Yeah, the oh, and speaking of the pricing games, there is one other contestant this week playing clock game. Uh, for the clock game, you have 30 seconds to guess the actual retail price of two prizes. And what they do is you give a number that you believe it is, and Drew will tell you whether the actual price is higher or lower, so you can keep guessing. Um, this pr- Now... I, I think your strategy would probably be the same as mine. What would your strategy be, Adrian? I want to hear your strategy first. And okay. How, well, do you, how do you play clock game? Depending on how high or how low I think the price is, I probably almost always guess $100. Higher or lower? $200. Lower. $150. Lower. $125. Higher. $130. Higher. $140. Higher. $150. Lower. $150. Lower. $140. Higher. $140. Higher. $140. Higher. $140. Lower. $140. I know who you're talking about. This was an older gentleman. And I think he did win the first prize, right? Mm-hmm. Um using up all of, I believe, two seconds, or if not one second left in the prize. But the way he played 
again, almost like he had no concept of the game. I get that, you know, maybe if you haven't seen the show before, understand it. But his guessing was just atrocious. And him going back and forth with Drew. And Drew almost laughs, uh, you know, at the end, you know, to see, like, how poorly. Clock game is pretty much, it doesn't matter if you even know what the price is. You don't have, and most of these, again, we've spoken about. doesn't matter if you know what the price of a barbecue grill is. It's probably not the premise of the game. The premise is to guess and use the tools given to you for that game to win. Um, and, yeah, it, I, I don't know who you were talking about. It did not go well. Yeah, the second prize um, is usually more expensive than the first. And th in this case, the second prize was about $800, and I believe the first one was 500 and some change. The The second prize, the contestant started with about $1,800, $1,900, and Drew said lower. So, And she kept going down, or he kept going down by $100, or fifty, actually $50, that's what it was, $50 increments. And at one point, Drew was just like, Say a thousand. He literally, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said like way lower or like don't bet that high. He said something to the fact. He said way lower. Just, yeah, yeah, and and I, I I'm with you, Adrian. You gotta. I don't know if I'd start at a hundred, but you gotta start at a hundred. So either like five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, and you gotta go by hundreds first. Then once you say seven hundred lower, six hundred higher. Okay, now you know it's the range. Now split the difference. Yeah, yeah six fifty to me. Yeah, always split the difference wherever you're at. Break it down into halves, and then from there start jumping into the tens and the fives and the ones because that's when it gets easy and quick. But always split them. Split it down to where you have kind of a yes, it's a big margin. But again, now you know how to guess in between that, and from there it just gets really easy as opposed to guessing by the hundred and going up and down. It's like you're not going to get there, and that that's that's how the game gets you. Yeah, and the, the big thing about clock game, too, is that once you get down to those single digits, they're very lenient. You can say, okay, 650 lower, 640 higher, 641, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Right, you don't have to say the whole number out. Yeah, because they know you're playing against the clock. you got 30 seconds to guess two prizes. Um, and, again, that just kind of goes back to your preparation for the game. Like if Now, for some people, they just want to do it for the experience. Say they've been at the prices right, which is great. However, for someone... Uh, like Adrian and I, like we we like to see people actually win and employ decent strategies to do that, as opposed to sheer dumb luck, you know. And so when we someone struggling to play clock game, it, it's it, it's kind of hard for us to watch because we're the kind of people that we mentioned before. We're we're well, we watch it anyway. But when our friends were going to go with us to the Prices Right taping that may not watch Prices Right on the regular like we do. They binge watched for a good two, three weeks, and we were able to talk with them. And they were like, "Why is this person doing this?" A lot, of, a lot of these games, our friends picked up pretty quickly, even though they're not necessarily game show watchers or prices right, right watchers. They were still able to see, like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing that?" And by by being able to do this before you go to the prices right and potentially be on this show. Again, establish some kind of baseline where you know like what you would do in certain situations. Now, some games are, are so random that there really is no strategy to them. Things like race game or bonkers where it's just you got 45 seconds to guess this prize. Like You got to go, go, go. Um, you really don't have time to consult with the audience or whatever. It's just you and uh, you versus the clock. So that's a little more understandable, and those are... If you, if you can guess it, those are games that I don't like as much. But um, yeah, yeah, because because some of those are based on dumb luck, you have a higher probability of losing. 
right. without using any type of strategy, and that, that definitely works against most of our theories, at least. <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll fast forward back to the showcase round at the very end of Friday's episode. Um, our bow tie wearing 19 year old was one of the two contestants playing. His showcase had the watches, the trip to Hawaii, and the Jeep. Um, Adrian, where what would your guess be if you had a trip if you had that showcase? On his showcase, I bet 29.5 was my initial bet. Um, just obviously having knowledge of the cars, the watches weren't super extravagant. Those watches looked like mostly like they were. Uh, I mean, the five to six hundred dollar range, but nothing close to like a thousand dollars each. Um, but my guess for his showcase total was twenty nine thousand five hundred. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you go over uh, your showcase bid, uh, you are out. You are not eligible to win, um, and so you want to be a little more conservative sometimes. But with me, I feel like I always be a little. I'm always a little too conservative in these types of things, and so playing at home, I'm trying to uh, guess more. In, in the hopes of being closer to the actual retail price of the showcase, I actually said thirty-two thousand, um, which I didn't feel the best about. But I've been noticing lately; I've been, you know, a good anywhere in the three to five thousand dollar range uh, below the actual retail price, and so I've been trying to get a feel for what these prizes are worth. And I'm saying thirty-two on this one. He actually uh, said thirty-five thousand, and he was the first person to place his bet. And so, once he said thirty-five thousand, uh, regardless of whatever the second showcase was, Adrian, uh, what would you do in terms of the second showcase if you were the better? Second showcase, um, I think her SUV was a little less extravagant than his. The trip was just a trip to New York. Um, it was pretty cut and dry. Um, but I guessed uh, 26.5 was my guess for her. Um, now, however, <laughs> that's if I was placing a real guess. If I was in her shoes, I, I, I explained this as it was happening. I think he overbid. And I think he overbid by quite a few thousand dollars. Um, see, his initial bid was 3500 And <laughs> yeah. Drew corrects him again and says 35000 He says, okay, yeah. So right after that, too, I said, wow, that's I think that's too much. And to kind of be that nostalgic uh, contestant, I would have bid a dollar. Mm-hmm. I literally would have said one dollar on a showcase showdown because I probably would have been the most epic bid. I think it gave me a great chance opportunity to do it. Maybe a little, uh, a little ballsy, but I would have bid one dollar on my showcase. Now, if you wanted me to give a real guess or bid, I would have guessed 26500 And that's really close to what... Uh, the contestant actually bid. She bid twenty six thousand five sixty for her Hyundai SUV and the trip to New York. Uh, I'm I'm with you, Adrian. It's happened a couple of times. It's I can count it on one hand the amount of times someone has bid one dollar at, at the end of the show in the showcase. Um, but it is pretty epic because it only happens when people are ridiculously over. There is one instance, and I've seen this many times on YouTube, and I'm sure um, if you're a fan of game shows and game show kind of bloopers and things like that. You've seen this. Um, there was this contestant one time who orig- in the Bob Barker era who originally wanted to say $250,000 for his showcase, which obviously is really ridiculous. 
and then he he talked himself down to about sixty thousand dollars. Which and this is you know fifteen twenty years ago. This was towards the end of the Bob Barker era. So still to have sixty thousand dollars, like we don't get showcases to this day. You know. To, at sixty thousand dollars, you know, like you know, like there's a good amount that that are in the thirties. Sometimes they might even get one into the forties if they're feeling nice on a particular day. If it's not like Epic Car Week or whatever, then those can get really high. But you know that you're playing for something really expensive. On on the norm, these things are in the twenty five to thirty five thousand dollar range more often than not. So that's where you're working with. And then if twenty years ago this guy bet sixty thousand dollars, well, you know what? The lady that was playing against him set a dollar, and the crowd went freaking nuts. It was the most epic thing ever. She knew what she was doing. She had like this, you know, excuse my language, shit-eating grin on her face. And like, I couldn't help it. Like, I loved it. Like, she knew what she was doing. She knew this guy was a fool. Yep. Like, she bet a dollar, and the crowd knew. The crowd loved it. I think Bob Barker even loved it. Like, the, the best ones are when the hosts are in on the, on the gag, too. It's just like, wow, this guy is... Just bet sixty thousand dollars on a boat and a dinette set. That's cool. He's an idiot. And then the the co other contestant bit a dollar, and you're like, I you have that knowing look between the two contestants. I think it's great. Um, but Adrian, you were right. The thirty five thousand dollar bid that he placed was over uh, by almost five thousand. It was thirty thousand four hundred and some change. And now the interesting part came to the other contestant where she bid twenty six thousand five sixty. You you said it was twenty six five when we were watching it. Now if you get within two hundred and fifty dollars of your own showcase, if you're able to guess the price within two hundred and fifty dollars without going over, you actually get to win both showcases. And so the actual retail price of her showcase was twenty six thousand six sixty six. And she was off only by $106. So not only did she win her own showcase that she bid on, she got to win all of, all of his stuff. The watches, the trip to Hawaii, and the Jeep on top of her trip to New York and the SUV. So she made out like a bandit on, on Friday's episode. Yeah, so obviously you know, winning both showcases is the ideal dream. Um, it's usually too close for that. And again, my bid would have still been off by a 1000 and a couple hundred bucks. So... Um, no, you no, you would have won. You said twenty six five. Twenty six five, and it was twenty six six. six. See, I would have. You would have won both showcases. Yeah. So maybe being as arrogant as I as I intended wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have paid off. I still would have won my own car, you know, and the prize. But um, definitely, you know, knowing that he overbid significantly, the twenty six five. You know, I think betting that too. Was also me being lenient. I don't think if you would have overbid so much, I might have gone like twenty eight as a, as a bid. But mm -hmm. the twenty six five was me actually bringing it down a little to what I thought. So I would have overbid if he didn't. But based on what he bid, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have been a dollar because I'm like, dang, anything can happen. But right away, being in the comfort of my own home, I went a dollar. Not even seeing, not even seeing the next showcase. Right. Not even seeing what showcase comes up. I would have said one dollar. My bet's going to be one dollar. Seeing her showcase, okay. If I'm really going to play and put in the bid, it's going to be twenty six five. But um, it just goes to show. I mean, the, you know, the contestants. I mean, anything can happen. She did make out like a bandit. She had a great, uh, great showcase. Two cars, two great trips. Um, so kudos to her. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in again, once again this week. Uh, for Adrian Perez, I'm J.D. Late. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.